Third and two, blitz coming. Garoppolo sees, fires incomplete. Trying to get it to Kittle. Garoppolo fires, it is caught, still on his feet is Kittle with a big play and the stiff arm. George Kittle, flags fly, he's down to the 30. What a run by George Kittle. Take it on everybody. But the- what is up everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Uh, that wonderful clip was brought to you by Fox and the NFL, courtesy of them. Man, what a play, what a play. Um, it would go on to set up the winning field goal by Robbie Gold. Uh, we're going to get into it all, the whole 49ers Saints recap. Um, my name is Zach Hernandez. You can find me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. You can follow the podcast at RGS Pod on Twitter as well. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how you doing tonight? What's going on, Zach? What's going on, Faithful? It is your boy, Anthony, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Man, Zach, it was uh, it was one hell of a game, dude. I can't believe they pulled it out, but uh, in any event, man, they pulled it out, and it was a barn burner. It was a thriller. But uh, the formalities, everyone, follow me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. It's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. It was a total nail-biter, and uh, it was the type of game the last couple of weeks, going back to the Seattle home game, We've kind of seen the 49ers not be able to finish, not be able to execute when it mattered most. So it was really, really good to see them be able to uh, not only win, but win in the fashion that they they won. Uh, we're going to get into it all today. Quick recap. Um, you guys heard probably, you know, arguably the biggest, biggest uh, play of the game for, you know, both teams. The 49ers won the game 48 to 46 with a Robbie Gold field goal as time expired, like I said. Um, it was back and forth all day. I know that the Saints started out early. They had two touchdowns right away to Jared Cook, who would then leave with a concussion. He would not return. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo started off the game. Uh, you know, he answered right away on offense, and he was able to, you know, kind of light up the, the, the stat sheet. Excuse me. Um, I know the Saints, like I said, they, had, they opened up with a scoring drive. 49ers answered right back. With a lovely Kendrick Bourne uh, six-yard pass, and then after the second Jared Cook touchdown, the 49ers unfortunately went three and out, and then they traded touchdowns once again, and then they traded touchdowns once again, and then uh, it just went all the way up to the half to where it was 28-27 at halftime, and um, it was I heard at the halftime studio at Fox at the halftime show. Excuse me, they said it was the highest-scoring half all season uh, with a combined 55 points. The 49ers had scored a touchdown going into halftime, and they were hoping to kind of capitalize on getting the ball to start the third quarter. However, unfortunately, three plays later, Jimmy Garoppolo threw a pass to Emmanuel Sanders that was tipped and then intercepted. It would be the only uh, 49ers turnover of the day. Unfortunately, it led to a Saints field goal. However, you know, no no worries because a couple drives later, the 49 excuse me, the Saints would fumble. Alvin Kamara fumbled uh with a lovely DJ Jones recover, excuse me, DeForest Buckner recovery. And uh, two plays later, the 49ers were right back in the end zone. Garoppolo found none other than George Kittle for the score. And I mean, man, this play really just went down to the wire. The Saints scored a touchdown with like 53 seconds left to go up what one point they went for the two point conversion and they failed. So it was just 
it was just amazing the fact that the 49ers were able to come back and win this game. Um, they got the ball back on their own 25 with 53 seconds left, and they were able to drive it, you know, mainly thanks to that beast catch and run by George Kittle all the way down to the New Orleans 12 where they took a timeout with two seconds left and Robbie Gold, you know, the rest is history. Robbie Gold won it for them. So let's get right into it, Anthony. What stood out to you? What were some of the biggest plays of the game, you know, other than what I just talked about with Robbie Gold, or excuse me, with George Kittle? So the one person that stood out to me the most was arguably Emmanuel Sanders. Dude, not only did he catch a filthy touchdown, but he also threw a filthy touchdown pass to Raheem Mostert. That was a dime. I, you know, I rewatched it and I thought he was under more pressure when he made the throw. But I mean, they too like rolled out right, kind of threw off balance, like off his back foot, damn near falling backwards and just completed the pass for a touchdown. It was one of the best play calls of Shanahan's day. But uh, dude, Emmanuel Sanders stood out. Debo Samuel stood out. Kendrick Bourne stood out. You know, all in all, the entire offense stood out. But really, if I had to name one MVP early on, it was Emmanuel Sanders. He, you know, other than Kittle and Garoppolo, he carried the offense to a victory. Emmanuel Sanders is everything that the Niners hoped for and more, dude. At the time, I thought like, ah, well, you know, a third and a fourth round pick, it's not that bad. The Niners are likely going to be competing. So it's not like the draft, you know, the draft position is going to be that good. But for what Emmanuel has been doing for the team so far and what he's done, he's really helping the team get into the playoffs. And he's arguably one of the biggest difference makers on this team. And I don't know if the offense would move as well without him. Let's be honest. The guy is just a playmaker through and through. You know, he defies age. He's not even playing like he's, what, 32, 33? And again, he's just a difference maker. And I think he really stood out to me the most, man. He he really proved a lot of people why... He's the most important piece of this offense. And, and, you know, that's a great answer because Emmanuel Sanders, you know, he continues to ball out, especially when he's healthy like he was today. He just, you know, I know he had that tipped pass. However, you know, you could argue that the ball was a little bit in front of him. He laid out his body going for it across the middle. He tried. He tried to get the ball. Um, and, he, you know, it tipped and was intercepted. But that's just a great answer because he really, really came through for uh, the team today. And I think he had, what, like 167 yards or something like that? Some ridiculous number. Um, I have it here. Yeah, seven catches for 157 yards with a touchdown along of 75. Seven catches on nine targets, one of those being tipped and intercepted. So really he had, you know, two drops. It, it, it's just it was amazing. Uh, for me, I, I got to go with Jimmy. I got to go with Jimmy Garoppolo. The guy was poised, he was calm, he was cool, he was collected. Everything good you want to see in a quarterback, that was Jimmy today. Um, I had predicted in the last episode that he would have no turnovers, and I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to put an asterisk on that one touchdown, or excuse me, interception pass, and I'm going to act like it didn't happen because, you know, Jimmy played really, really well. I think the ball was catchable. Um, you know, sometimes just you can't prevent things like that from happening in the NFL. It's just going to happen. But, I mean, 26 for 35, 349 yards, four touchdowns, that interception. Um, and, you know, going into a hostile environment and coming out with a win like that, the way he did against the veteran quarterback, Drew Brees, it was just amazing. It was amazing to see, and it was amazing that he never really got flustered. Uh, the 49ers at one point were down 20-7. to seven, And what does he do? He comes right out and throws that 75-yard bomb to, to Emmanuel Sanders. And, by the way, quick, quick side note. The, the situational awareness by Sanders to to know that he wasn't touched down and to get back up and keep running 
Oh man, that that was amazing because you see so many times guys think they're down and they get up and spike the ball and then the refs kind of just like, "Oh, okay." And the next play happens and you're like, "I don't think he was down." But that wasn't the case today. So that was that was great to see. Um but I I definitely got to go with with Jimmy. There's no other answer for me. Um and, you know, moving on to what we just talked about, George Kittle, the guy was a beast. Um he had I think like what? Let's see. Six catches for 67 yards today with a 39 long, 39 yard long pass and catch. Uh, six catches on eight targets, and including that really, really beastly game winning catch and run, essentially. On fourth and two, too. Let's not forget that. It was on fourth down. Um, is he the tight, number one tight end in the NFL? Yes, yes, and yes, dude. I just. Words can't describe how impactful George Kittle really is to this Niners team and just how effective he is overall. I mean, he made the play of the year for the Niners, and I'm sure there's a lot of plays that you can break down that everyone excelled on really well. But in my opinion, throughout this whole season and whatever happens from here on out, George Kittle's play on fourth and two to ultimately, you know, determine the outcome of the game for the Niners is the biggest play of the season for the team as a whole. I mean, George Kittle's a beast through and through. I, I know Travis Kelsey is really good. Zach Ertz is really good. But they they can't get it done like George Kittle. I'm sorry. George Kittle's blocking was superb today. You know, George Kittle's box score stats might not necessarily show or show, you know, how well he did. But that one catch he made, man, was really the difference maker in this entire game. It's what set up the victory, you know, on top of the face mask too. But, I mean, it took three people to take down George Kittle. So by and far, man, he's the best tight end in the league. And he's, <laughs> this is so early to say, but he's damn near already playing. Like he's going to be one of the best Niners of all time, dude. It's just the the guy fits the team. He fits everything that they're trying to do. And he he's just impressive. He's really, really impressive. It, it, it You know, it's hard to argue against that. And I'm not going to. I definitely think he's the best tight end in the NFL. I think he's been the best tight end in the NFL since last year. Um, it, it to me, it's amusing when I I watch you know ESPN or NFL networks and I see guys you know go on there and they say you know and George Kittle you know he he's quietly becoming one of the better tight ends in the league. It's like no, he is a, a great tight end. He is a perfect tight end. He's you know all around extremely talented. He's the best blocker. He can catch. He's extremely hard to take down. He's fast. He can, you can't match him up with a linebacker. Yet he's too big for a defensive back. He's a, he's a, he's a uh, uh, excuse me a uh, matchup nightmare for defenses. So I definitely think he is the number one tight end in the NFL. Um, it would be very very hard for somebody to argue the case against it. I could see guys like Kelsey being in the conversation. I just don't think Kelsey is as well rounded of a, a tight end as George Kittle. Um, and you know, you see it week in, week out, even if he doesn't, you know, light up the stat sheet, he's still, you know, blocking, laying guys out, whatever he needs to do to draw, you know, the defense his way. So another guy can get the ball. He's, he does it and he goes to work every day. He goes and he doesn't complain. I think that's the best part about him is that he's not going to be a total diva. If he doesn't have a hundred yards on 10 catches, you know, he, he's fine with whatever, whatever makes the team win. And I think that's most important. Um, what about Jimmy Garoppolo? He was kind of my pick for the the player that stood out to me in this game. Do you think it was his best game yet? I mean, I, I talked about earlier he had he was twenty six for thirty five, three forty nine, four touchdowns and a pick. 
along with 131.7 rating. Um, do you think it was his best game, Anthony? Yeah, I think I'm going to roll with it's his best game. I mean, he had fantastic games against Carolina, Arizona, Green Bay, but I think this game for him through and through takes the cake, dude. Again, you said it, 26-35, 349 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. That wasn't his fault. You know, I think without the pick, he would have had a perfect passer rating. But uh, in any event, man, it doesn't matter what happened. He led this team to a victory. You know, the thing is, too, is that the run game wasn't even that bad on the day. You know, overall, everyone ran for 162 total yards. Mostert had a rushing touchdown. You know, Breda looked good. Debo even looked good. Tevin Coleman, once again, struggled. You know, I mean... A lot of people aren't really talking about it enough, but Coleman has not looked good, and it's been, what, five games now since the Carolina game? So something's going on with him. But uh, in any in any event, though, man, the run game was really good, but the fact that even when the run game was going, they still had to rely on Jimmy Garoppolo to really complete the game, and, you know, what can you do? When it's a 40-plus point game by both teams, you can't, you can't really keep running the ball throughout. You need to pass, and you need to make big plays, and you need to throw to win. And that's ultimately what Garoppolo did and, and Emmanuel Sanders. But, uh, no, nah, dude, Garoppolo had his best game as a Niner. He did everything that he needed to do. You know, this was another one of those games, too, where I felt like he didn't he didn't make any stupid throws. You know, he didn't make any of those type of throws that you question or go, wow, you know, why would you throw something like that? Nah, man, he made tight window throws. His deep ball was pretty good on the day. Intermediate was good. Short passes were good. There's nothing more I can say, man. Garoppolo is a real deal. You know, this is why you go out there and you pay him $137 million. And, I mean, you, you look at his contract now and you think, like, oh, God, that's just – it's a bargain, you know? If if I were the Niners and I'm and Garoppolo is on a one-year contract, I'm giving this dude, like, top five money. That's, that's how good he is. But uh, Garoppolo, all I can say, he's a stud. You know, he elevates everyone around him. And – there's not much more I can say, man. Garoppolo's a real deal, and it looks like he's ready to carry this team deep into the playoffs. I, I totally agree. Um, it was his best game as a 49er, and it couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, I honestly think he's hitting his stride, and you know, looking a couple of weeks back, we were saying this three-game stretch, the Packers, the Ravens, and the Saints, is the they were calling it the gauntlet. You know, It's kind of what it's been referred to on social media. And it couldn't be a better time for Jimmy Garoppolo to kind of be hitting his stride and really, really catching fire. Um, he's he's playing lights out football. They showed some of the stats. I think like passing yards and touchdowns. He's like first and third overall in the last three, four weeks, something like that. Um, I saw it during the game. I don't have it fresh in my mind, but it, he's just been playing really, really good. Top five, top three in these stats, you know, so um, I would definitely like to see it get better. And I think it will get better. But the 49ers couldn't be happier with his progression so far, especially Kyle Shanahan. Um, I really do think he's the perfect quarterback for Kyle Shanahan and his offense. So I, I just can't wait to see what the future holds. But, you know, e- even a couple weeks ago, we were saying if the 49ers in this three-game stretch were able to go 2-1 and one with the one loss being out of the conference at Baltimore, it would kind of be the best-case scenario. Obviously, you want them to win all three, but if they had to lose one, it would be Baltimore, and that's exactly what happened. So it was just, you know, and, and Jimmy had a large part in each game, and, you know, they were very, very close to being 3-0 and in these games. It didn't happen, but these two were kind of the more important games to, to, to win. 
So I just think it was amazing. Uh, the plays that really stood out to me for him, uh, we, like you talked about, that 70-yard, excuse me, 75-yard bomb to Emmanuel Sanders. And other than it being a really, really good play, just the fact that the momentum was about to shift 100% to the Saints, it was already almost there. It was 20-7. to 7. You don't get that a score on that drive. It's going to get ugly quickly. Um, and then pretty much the entire last drive, uh, he was cool. He was calm. He was collected. That fourth down throw to George Kittle, um, it was just amazing. He didn't let the moment get too big for him. He stepped in. And, you know, the, the 49ers, they didn't run the ball that many times today. So the fact that, you know, Kyle is ready to trust Jimmy in such a big moment already, I think it's I think it speaks volumes to how they view him and how they trust him. Um, and, you know, I saw the video after. I don't know if you, you got a chance to see it, Anthony, but they were giving away the game balls. And I believe it was uh, a member of the York family. He came up and, and, you know, they were talking about Tony York, who passed a year ago, and uh, they were dedicating the ball to him. And he, he kind of teared up and, he, you know, he definitely said, Jimmy, this was your best game. So I, I, I can't I can't help but agree with him. I, th- I definitely think it was. Now, this may be going out on a stretch here, Anthony, but do you think he's a sleeper for MVP? He's got to be, dude. And I mean, you know, he has, what, three more games to prove how valuable he is to the team. And I mean, I'm not going to expect him to th- go out there and throw four touchdowns in three games in a row. But I am expecting him to have performances like this. And I mean, now now I think we can start to say that Jimmy Garoppolo is working out of that he hasn't started that many games, I guess saying, if you will, because he's, what, started 20 games now, I think. And he's starting to get really comfortable and really familiar with the Shanahan system. He looks comfortable, he looks poised, and he looks like he really understands the whole thing. And going forward, I mean, you look at how Russell Wilson did tonight. Dude, Wilson didn't even throw a touchdown. And uh, I saw one of the guys we interviewed some time ago, Joe Fan, was saying that uh, I think Wilson had a 35-game streak of passing, like one passing touchdown in 35 straight games. And that got stra- uh, that got snapped. So it looks like Lamar Jackson is running away with the MVP, but I still wouldn't count out Garoppolo because you look at what he's doing for the team. I mean, Lamar Jackson has been really impressive, don't get me wrong, but you got to figure that, that that sometimes the MVP votes and whatnot usually go to, I guess, pure quarterbacks, if you will. And I mean, I'm not knocking Lamar Jackson for being a runner or for doing what he does because, you know, why is he going to change his style if his style fits that offense perfectly? But at the same time, too, you look at like what Garoppolo has gone through, what he's done, what he's doing, and you take away like you take away all the tipped passes that were interceptions, like the one that happened today, for example. And dude, Jimmy Garoppolo has like how many passes touchdowns does he have on the season? Twenty four, twenty five. He would have that to only like ten picks or nine picks. So his numbers would look a lot better than what they indicate. But the point being is that Garoppolo is having these types of games where he can put the team on his shoulders and lead them to victory. And what he's doing are things that you see from MVPs, from MVP quarterbacks. And even if he doesn't win it. I firmly believe that Garoppolo is going to get MVP votes because I really think he deserves it. The guy is leading his team. The guy is carrying his team. And he's going out there and he's proving a lot of people wrong that he's more than just you know a 50-50 guy who's either on it or he's not on it. The guy is starting to put up consistent numbers and consistent games each game. 
and he keeps doing that, dude, he, he's going to work his way into an MVP, and I firmly believe that. But for this season in particular, I definitely would consider him a sleeper MVP, man. He He's just a stud. I definitely agree with that. I just think the MVP. Um, I I definitely I would consider him a sleeper MVP, and I wouldn't I wouldn't obviously disagree with anybody that does. But um, I think that the more likely scenario for him is definitely comeback player of the year. He's coming back off that torn ACL, and I definitely think he's got a good chance at winning that. I I can't imagine who else would. Uh, who's who's having the type of season that he is after coming back from such a you know a bad injury like that? So I I could see sleeper MVPs, but comeback player of the year is kind of where I I think is more likely. But I mean, man, take away him from this 49ers team, and you don't even have to imagine. Just look at last year; they did not do well, and they added yeah a few pieces on offense, a few pieces on defense, but they're largely still the same team. So it it. It, you can definitely see how they are without him, and that's kind of how I view the MVP vote. Is how would this team be without him? Um, they still have Kittle, however, without Garoppolo, this team would fall apart. So I can see the argument being made. Um, let's move on to the wide receivers, Anthony. Uh, Sanders, Debo, Bourne, they all had a hell of a day. Who would you say had the best day out of the receivers? You know, I think I'm going to roll with Kendrick Bourne, and here's why. I know he only had three catches. I know it was only 18 yards, but dude, two touchdowns? The guy is Jimmy Garoppolo's favorite red zone target, and I get it. I totally get it. The guy is so quick in short areas that he gets just a step of separation on his DB, and that's all he needs to catch the ball. Now, I know people knock Bourne because he's he's had a handful of drops, but I mean, who hasn't, dude, on this team? Everyone's been dropping the ball. Sanders dropped the ball today, you know? Debo had a drop. But the point being is that Kendrick Bourne is a reliable red zone target, and Kyle Shanahan has even said the best, man. He has the best hands on the team, and you see it. Both of his touchdown catches today were impressive. They really were. He showed strong hands. Both times the DBs were right on his ass, ready to break it up or ready to get a hand in there. And Bourne just plucked it out of the air, dude. He plucked it like Hopkins would or like Beckham would. And, you know, not to compare him to those two, but what I'm trying to say is that Bourne is arguably the most effective wide receiver on the team. And it doesn't have to be him putting up 100 plus yards, 10 plus catches. It's a matter of him scoring touchdowns and him coming through when the team needs it. And the fact that Garoppolo has a guy he can trust is really important because the past couple seasons, we talked about how the Niners need to draft a big red zone target. They need to get someone who's physical, need to get someone who's strong and tough, you know, like the 6'4 guys or even a big tight end or just someone who can win one-on-one and match and out-muscle people. And the thing Kendrick Bourne is doing is that he's not out-muscling people, but his technique and his release and his moves are so good that, again, all he needs is one step to get away from his DB and catch a pass for a touchdown or, you know, succeed and get the first down. And the fact that he can do that and he's not even being used in, I guess, a full-time role, if you will, you know, we'll find out more in snack counts come out. But the point being is that when Kendrick Bourne is on the field and when he's getting targets, even if it's just, you know, two, three, four targets a game, like like this game, he only had four targets. When he's getting targets from Jimmy Garoppolo, he is making the most of it. And when it came down to it in this game, 
his most important targets were in the red zone, and he caught both of them for touchdowns. That, in my book, is the most impactful and the most important wide receiver of the game for the Niners. That's a good answer. Um, I, I actually had him in my mind as far as answering this question. Um, but I got to go with the veteran, man, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, he just lit up the field today, and he definitely was a huge part in the 49ers' victory. It, early in the first game, or excuse me, early in the first half, he was all over the field. Um, he was wherever Jimmy needed him to be, making plays. And, you know, like we said, he finished the game with, um, excuse me, let me see, seven catches for 157 yards, 22.4 average, a touchdown, and that long catch of 75 yards. And I know he had that tipped pass that was an interception. However, that just happens in the NFL. I'm not faulting him for it. Um, I think Sanders was just amazing today. And I'm even going to factor in his touchdown throw, like we said. Um, You know, that was a beautiful, beautifully thrown pass. And I totally agree with you. You said earlier, it looked, you know, at the time, it looked like he had a lot more pressure in his face. Um, I just rewatched the play not before we started recording and it definitely to me seemed like my memory recalled him being a lot more pressured to make the throw but i mean he's still just throwing it off a back foot and he was able to hit uh most i believe in stride so it was just it was just amazing man i couldn't i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe how, how beautifully of a throne how beautiful of a blown uh, excuse me how beautifully of a thrown ball that was and coming off of none other than emmanuel sanders the vet so I got to give him props where it's due. Let's talk about Debo. Um, another week, another really, really uh, impressive, consistent showing from the rookie. Um, he had five catches for 76 yards, 15.2 yards an average, uh, long of 25, and he only had uh, eight targets. He was able to make five catches on eight targets. What did you think of Debo's performance today? I really think he's living up to the whole he compares to Anquan Bolden status. He's tough, he's physical, he's rugged. He's still one of the best wide receivers in the league with yards after catch, man. The guy just makes plays when he gets the ball in his hand. He goes out there, he wins his matchups, he runs really good routes, and you know, a lot of people were like, oh, Debo Samuel, we all knew Kyle Shanahan was going to draft him, but... I still wanted Terry McLaren, or I still wanted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who I wanted. But the point being is that Debo Samuel is going out there, and he's really proving his worth. He's making his money. Now, I know he isn't the finished product yet, but we're already getting constant glimpses and, I guess, view sites, if you will, of what Debo Samuel is eventually going to mold out to be. And that's a wide receiver who can eat targets, and not only get targets, but run the ball effectively. And make plays with his feet, make plays with his body, make make plays with his quickness. The guy goes out there and he he's either looking for contact or he's looking to make someone miss. And both of those traits are what make wide receivers elite in football. And the fact that Debo already has both of those is exactly what he needs to be on the right track to be successful and to just be something huge. And it's not just a product of the Shanahan system that's making him successful. Debo is just a good wide receiver. I really think that if he was on any team, he would be making plays like the way he is. But man, I don't want to think about that. The fact is, is that he's on this team. He's being used to the best of his ability. And yeah, dude, like you said, you know, his box score stats won't necessarily show it either. 
you know, five catches, 76 yards. But the dude also ran the ball twice for 33 yards. You know, it seems like that Debo is getting at least two to three carries a game. And the fact that Kyle Shanahan is able to utilize him in that way and make it as effective as he is just goes to show how impactful and how important Debo is to this offense. And with that being said, though, man, Debo was just as important as Bourne. He was just as important as Sanders. And, you know, there's not much more I can say, man. Debo's a rookie, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has a huge leap in year two because a guy who already looks like he's going to be one of the top wide receivers in the league. I totally agree with you, Uh, Debo. he's, He's looked really, really great especially the last couple of weeks. But today, um, just like you said, he didn't necessarily light up the stat sheet, but he came through when he was needed. And that's all you can really ask of a player, especially a young player, a rookie. Um, He's been great for the 49ers. He's really, really coming into his own. And I hate to be this guy, but it's like with the kind of downward turn trajectory Dante Pettis has been on this season, it's really, really welcomed for a, a guy like Debo to step up and kind of come in and fill the role. And and then some, you could argue, um, he's really, really dangerous when he got the ball in his hand, especially in empty space. He's a tough guy. He's he's physical. Um, he's hard to bring down. Charles Davis, the announcer that was uh, calling the game today on Fox, man, he, he was making me crack up with some of the wording he was using. But he called Debo a thickly built young man which I would never, ever call another guy. That'd probably be fighting words. But I, I just thought that was hilarious. I, I was cracking up hearing that. But I really, really appreciate what Debo is bringing to the table. Um, I think he's he's going to be great in the next couple of years. He's already really, really talented and putting on a show as it is. So I'm, I'm super excited to see where his career takes him. I think he's the perfect wide receiver for a Shanahan offense. And, you know, just like you said, once we saw Shanahan coach him up in the Senior Bowl, they were raving about him, so we all knew that they were going to take him, and I'm, I'm actually really happy they did. Um, I think he's perfect for this team, for this offense, so I, I can't wait to see where it goes. Now, Anthony, let's get to the running game. Um, it's kind of been a little, I don't want to say controversial, but it's been a bit of a hot topic with Raheem Mostert having a career day last week. Uh, Tevin Coleman kind of wasn't wasn't really feeling it, wasn't, wasn't the go. Uh, and then Matt Breida was out this last week. He comes back this week. Uh, he starts the game. He has, uh, excuse me, he's the second leading rusher. He's six carries, 54 yards. However, the leading rusher, once again, was Raheem Mostert. 10 carries, 69 yards, a touchdown uh, on the ground. And then he also caught one. Now, the tricky part comes in to Tevin Coleman. He only had three carries for six yards. What's going on with the running game? So first things first, I'm glad the running game has been effective. Again, they ran for a combined 162 yards on just 24 carries. And I mean, other than Grappa, that's mostly from Mostert, Brita, and Debo. So at least the running game has been good. But, you know, I still think it's kind of concerning that, you know, we talked about last week too, that Tevin Coleman has not been effective. You know, you said it, three carries, six yards. He didn't do anything in the passing game, and I don't know what's going on with that. And I I don't know if Shanahan just doesn't trust him. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe there's something we don't know that's going on with him. But the fact that he's been relatively ineffective, I think, is concerning. Now, I know 
Shanahan is probably the last coach who would bench Tevin Coleman because, you know, let's face it, Tevin Coleman is like Shanahan's guy. He wants him to go out there. He wants him to get his touches. But you have someone in Jeff Wilson Jr. who's waiting in the reins, waiting, you know, to get his opportunity, and he's proved it. And I still think he's one of the most effective touchdown scorers on the team who, at this point, I feel like could be more effective than Tevin Coleman. And I'm not saying we need to suit up five running backs, but I wouldn't be surprised if he at least considers making Tevin Coleman inactive and letting Jeff Wilson get the start or letting Jeff Wilson get in carries, dude. Because, again, Tevin Coleman's ineffectiveness is huge going forward. He needs to be effective. He is so important to this offense. I know he didn't have a game, and he hasn't had a game the past four or five weeks, if you will, but I still don't think that takes away his effectiveness and his importance in this offense in general. But uh, with that being said, though, besides the negative, dude, what about Raheem Moster, man? He is blossoming into a star. Not only did he have 10 carries for 69 yards in the touchdown, but he also caught the ball. He got, what, two catches, 40 yards, and a touchdown also? So Mostert is like... He's budding into this star that no one really expected. And, you know, he his play goes beyond special teams, dude. The guy is contributing in the run game more than anyone can imagine. And I think the biggest thing that stands out to me about Mostert is how fast he takes off as soon as he gets the ball. On his only rushing touchdown of the day, dude, he hit 0-60 to 60 in like one second. The guy is like remarkably fast. And... He's just one of the quickest accelerators in the game. Like I said, the dude hit 0-60 to 60 in a second. That's how fast he is. But, uh, nah, dude. Mostert is blossoming into a star. You know, that contract that he's on is looking like a steal at this point. I mean, this guy should get paid like a top 15 running back. That's how good he is. But uh, aside from that, Matt Breida, you know, it's good to see that he came back. Six carries, 54 yards. I think the way he was used today, Zach, is exactly how the Niners should use him on the season limit his snaps, and I I think I even said this last time too, limit his snaps, only use him on a handful of carries, but still be able to get the most, I guess, get the most effectiveness out of him, if you will, be able to really grind out everything that you can of Brita, because we know Brita can be a workhorse back when he needs to, but I think having him be a workhorse back is what puts him in injury risky situations, if you will. I mean, let's face it, Brita's had his knack of injuries this season. It's always a constant ankle or some kind of leg injury, you know, and I'm not saying that Brita deserves to get more carries or doesn't deserve to get more carries because he does, but I think the way he's being used with limited snaps being able to get the most out of him and just keeping him fresh and healthy is the best way to go for the season. And especially when you have someone like Raheem Mostert, who's balling his ass off, you know, quite frankly, I think Shanahan should just let Mostert keep doing what he's doing. Let him get the majority of the carries use Brita to spell Mostert because Brita is so similar to Mostert. And, you know, let's face it. A lot of us think that Brita is a better runner than Mostert, but having Brita in for five to six carries a game, And I mean, look at this, dude, 54 yards on only six carries. That's impressive. So being able to have him for only a few carries, I think, is the best way to keep Rita healthy. It's the best way to keep him fresh. And it's really the best way to keep him ready for the playoffs. Because, again, you have someone like Mostert who's so effective and so powerful and so dominant. You know, let him go off. Keep Rita ready. And... You know, I know the Shanahan system revolves around rotating running backs in and out, 
But keeping Breida healthy is the biggest thing going forward for the Niners. And when you have someone like Mostert, who's you know having career games left and right, save Breida, keep him healthy, keep him safe. And <laughs> I know that was that was a whole rant. I'm sorry, but my point being is that Breida is so important to me. He's so important to us. He's so important to Shanahan that his health is just the biggest key for the Niners. And keeping him healthy, keeping him fresh throughout the season, throughout the playoffs, is going to be huge. Yeah, um, a lot to dissect there, but I I really agree with you. I really do. Um, to me, I see Brita as kind of the the Forty ers like luxury sports car running back. Um, who you know sometimes gets a little dinged up, but I, I, I to the most part he's very very reliable and he's a very good talented running back that fits perfectly in this system. Um, I don't want to say it's concerning the way Coleman has kind of had the last two outings he's had, but um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But I really, really think it just speaks to the 49ers depth. Um, They have three really, really good running backs. And, you know, you could even add in uh, an above average running back in Jeff Wilson or at very, very worst average running back. Um, So I think they're really, really suited to kind of play whatever style game it may be. Um, They have a really fast, scat back receiver uh, running back in Brita. They got a, a talented patient runner who's also really, really quick once he hits that hole in um, Mostert. And then they have Coleman, who's kind of, you know, a power, but he still has the speed as well. And then don't even start with Jeff Wilson, who's like a bowling ball once you get into the, in the end zone, once you get inside the five-yard line. So this team really, really has a nice stable of running backs. Um, but I, I think I am willing to say that Moster should be bumped up on the depth chart. I think he's earned it. I think he's proved that he can ball out. And there are games where Coleman, you know, doesn't seem to be having it. And, you know, sometimes you think, oh, maybe the running game's just not there today. And then you see him, you know, get some rest and, and Moster comes in and Moster hits the holes. And, you know, he's a little bit more patient with it, whatever it may be. So I, I, I would like to see Moster continue to get more carries because I think he's making the most of it. And I think the team is only getting better by allowing him to do so. So I, I, I'd love to see it, but it's definitely something to keep uh, an eye on moving forward. What happens with Coleman and how many carries he's going to start getting all of that, because it, it could be, you know, telling next week if he only has another three carries. Um, let's move on to, to Coach Shanahan. Do you think he called the best game of the season? I mean, he had some really good games. Cardinals game, the Carolina game, the Packers game. Uh, did you think today was his best coaching output of the season? Yeah, I think we. I think he called his best game of the season, dude. I mean, the Emmanuel Sanders pass, the end arounds with Debo Samuel. You know, I know George Kittle's tight end screens weren't really working well, or, you know, tight end runs, if you will. But a lot of the time, you felt like Shanahan was trying to get cute. He was trying to get fancy. He's kind of trying to know really really throwing the trick plays and the ones that didn't work were like oh my god what are you doing like there was a play in the end zone I think it was one of Robbie Gold's field goals that made it 45 to 40 where Garoppolo like faked the handoff and he pretended like he kept the ball and I forget who it was I think it was the safety he just picked it out or Craig Robertson or something he just sniffed it out instantly and Garoppolo got nailed for the sack and you see something like that and it's like Oh my God, why are you calling that kind of play now? But in any event, though, 
His play calling was effective. The offense moved well. It felt like everything that Shanahan was throwing at the Saints' defense was just working. It was sticking to the wall. It was just effective, dude. This was Shanahan's most effective game of the season. And, you know, we brought it up already. already. This was Garoppolo's best game of the season. Well, this was Shanahan's best coached game of the season, too. He kept everyone in the game. He never gave up. He never faltered. And I think what I liked about him best was that even when it was the third and fourth quarter, when he was still calling cute plays, when he was still being aggressive with the ball, whether it was on fourth down, whether it was on third and short, you name it, Shanahan was still aggressive. And I think that's what makes him a really good coach is that he's aggressive and he's not afraid to go out there and call the play that he thinks is the right play. And, you know, that's the that that's really the make or break thing between a Super Bowl coach and a coach that gets fired after one or two years is how aggressive are you? How ready are you to face adversity and be up to the challenge? And Kyle Shanahan and this entire team, they aren't afraid of anything, dude. They're fearless. So with that being said, man, Shanahan called the best game of the year, and that, that's all I can say. Shanahan called his best game, and I think he should be coach of the year, too. That's how good he's been. Yeah, I, I can't imagine any other coach getting votes over Kyle Shanahan. You can make the argument for Mike Tomlin with everything he's doing, um, but you know, the, the, just the, the, the output, the outings, the performances, the stats, the results that Kyle Shanahan has gotten this year— it's been amazing. It really, really has been amazing given where they were last year at this time. Um, as far as this specific game, yes, by far it was his best coaching output. Um, you could argue last week, and I don't agree with this, but I've seen a lot of people make the case that his coaching played a large part in costing the 49ers the game, um, especially you know throwing on fourth down, whatever it may be, you could argue. I think his coaching had a large part in winning the 49ers this game today. Um, he went toe-to-toe with Sean Payton, and he came out on top. There's no other way to put it. Um, he was really, really good. He was really, really smart. He was always thinking two, three plays down the line. Um, you know, It just seemed like he always had an answer for whatever the Saints were throwing at them. And I know it's probably not his specific area of expertise, but... We got to talk about that special teams play where the, the Saints did the fake punt. And, uh, you know, luckily, Tavares Moore was right down with the gunner and he, he was aware. He was aware enough to know that p- pass interference could not be called. And he was able to lock up the, the, the gunner who was essentially the receiver in that case. But because it's a punt, it's not a re- he's not a receiver. And, man, you just got to think. I, I, I can't help but think that Kyle had some part in prepping the team throughout the week for that specific instance to occur. And luckily they were ready when it did because man, that would have been a huge shift of momentum. If the saints were able to complete that and get the ball, you know, 30, 40 yards down the field, whatever it may be. So I agree with you. Kyle Shanahan's best coach game of the year. I think it had a large part in determining why the 49ers won today. And like, like I've said about Jimmy, like I've said about the running game, I really hope it continues to get better. Because, you know, at this point, the sky's the limit. Um, Anthony, real quick, who was offensive MVP before we move on to the defense? Offensive MVP, huh? Man, it's really hard to go off of. But I, I got to roll with Garoppolo, dude. I mean, he carried the team. 
He did everything that he needed to do. And I think another thing that was like one of my favorite parts about his game was there were times where he extended plays with his legs. He was really immobile and really evasive in the pocket. And then he broke the pocket and he rolled out left or right and made plays and he made good throws. So I got to give it to Garoppolo, man. Four touchdowns, one lousy pick that wasn't even his fault. And the guy gets an MVP vote on my book. So Garoppolo, offensive MVP, comeback player of the year, greatest quarterback of all time. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, you know, it, it's hard to argue against Jimmy Garoppolo, and I'm not going to. Um, I definitely would think that he is a, the offensive MVP. However, I could easily see uh, Emmanuel Sanders getting that vote as well. Um, he had a hell of a game. I, I think he had the best uh, performance of all receivers today, yards wise. So it was just it was great for it to him to see that, especially against this Saints team, who you know. It was a huge matchup coming in, and a lot was on on the line for both teams. The stakes were huge, and a veteran like Emmanuel Sanders knows what's at stake, knows what it needs, what needs to be done in order to get there, and he did it. And you know, he was he was everywhere he needed to be for Jimmy, um, and it was just great to see. And you know, with the 49ers receivers, a lot has been made this year. It really, really looks like they have a really good group going right now. And they couldn't start to start to have gel at a better time. Uh, you know, rounding out the last three games of the season, heading into the playoffs, this 49ers team, you know, it's starting to starting to get red hot. And I don't think anybody wants to face them. Um, Anthony, let's move on to the defense. Real quickly, I just gotta say, what was that? What type of performance was that? Did the defense even get off the bus? Dude, I don't know what happened. I mean, I, you know, Salah didn't call a bad game, I think. I mean, guys went out and they executed, but I think I think Sean Payton was just better offensively. Drew Brees, you know, I saw this crazy stat that, like, when Drew Brees has faced the number one defense in his career, the dude is, like, 6-1. and one. So I don't know if it was just a matter of Drew Brees is really good against good defenses or... Or, you know, what's going on? I mean, on the day, dude, the Saints' offense, 465 total yards. They averaged 6.8 yards per play, which is pretty good. It's pretty good. But, uh, you know, they were 5 of 11 on third down. They they passed for 17 first downs. They had 28 total first downs on the day, but they passed for 17. Ran for 116 yards, which is good. I mean, the run defense has not been that good on the season, but to hold them to 116 yards when they have Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara is really impressive but uh nah dude i i think they just forgot to came on the bus you know i don't know if they just you know maybe jet lag or they weren't used to the environment because let's face it man the superdome is not easy to play in it is loud it is obnoxious it is constantly noise booming for these for those guys and i don't blame them if they were nervous or i don't blame them if they were having a hard time understanding or communicating because it was loud but uh no, nah, dude, I, I, I don't know what went on with the defense. I mean, I I don't know if the adjustments were made in the second half because I think the Saints scored more points in the second half, but I felt like Salah's play calling was a lot better. I felt like we saw a lot more blitzing in the second half. I felt like Drew Brees was pressured way more in the second half. So there was that. You know, Salah adjusted his play calling for the most part, but overall, I think it was just Drew Brees. 
and Michael Thomas and that offense just getting the job done. And, and you know, another thing too is that Salah didn't call a bad game at all, like I said. But one thing that was, I thought, the problem was that there were a ton of missed tackles on the day, dude. There were a ton, a ton, a ton, and I cannot stress this enough. There were so many missed tackles on the day. I felt like I was about to run out to New Orleans and be like, yo, guys, what's going on? Wrap up. I mean, Marcel Harris missed a tackle. You know, he he gave up the Jared Cook touchdown because he shoulder tackled him when he should have tried to wrap up. And I mean... You know, Warner missed a tackle. I think Spoon missed a tackle on that go-ahead touchdown. The Saints scored with a minute left. So it's things like that that really... I, I, I think that was the biggest problem on the day for the Niners was that they missed so many tackles. If they would just wrap up, if they would just not whiff on so many, I think this would be a different game. But uh, through and through, that was the one thing I didn't see change throughout the game was the missed tackles. They were really bad, and they... You know, they really hurt the defense. I mean, the offense did its job, but I felt like if those guys would have at least made that adjustment, the day could have been a lot easier for them. But overall, man, they came through when it mattered. Everyone made plays. You know, there were a couple injuries here and there, but that didn't stop them from, you know, making plays, getting the job done. And this was the first time all season we could say that the Niners is the Niners as a team were carried by the offense. They they really were carried. And, you know, I'm not discrediting Salah because he did what he had to do. He called a pretty good game. But the fact that it took forty eight points to beat the Saints by two and you know, forty eight to forty six, dude, that's no joke of a score. That really goes to show that something went wrong with the defense. And I mean you can blame it on anything. Missed tackles. The pass rush wasn't really hitting home. And when it was hitting home, guys weren't finishing. You know, they didn't have any sacks on the day. Nick Bosa had a very good day, and we'll talk about him later. But no sacks. Drew Brees was really only pressured on big blitzes, but otherwise the four-man rush wasn't hitting home because of the quick hitters. So there's not much you can do. But overall, <laughs> I guess you can say 46 points means they got the job done. And, you know, that's that's all I can say, dude. They got the job done, I guess. But there's definitely room for improvement, especially after a day like today. Yeah, you spoke on it with the missed tackles there. It definitely reminded me of the 49ers defense of recently, the last couple of years before they kind of took this upward turn. And, you know, that first, uh, I think it was the second touchdown. I can't remember exactly. I think it was the first, actually, where Marcel Harris tried to just kind of bump Jared Cook and he just bounced right off of him, and Jared Cook went into the end zone. It's like, what are you doing? Jared Cook is a, a beast. That guy's not going to go down with a quick, easy little shoulder bump from you. Um, and, you know, guys, you know, the, the special teams, um, they, they, they just weren't tackling. I don't understand what it was. The entire defense special teams unit was not tackling, and it was it was getting really, really frustrating. Um, so it was it was... It was interesting because we didn't see this type of performance really from the 49ers defense all year. And then this, they come out in arguably one of the biggest games of the season, if not the biggest game with all that's on the line. And they kind of lay an egg, you know, they kind of just didn't really put out the performance we're used to seeing. But I agree with you. You got to give credit where it's due to the Saints because, you know, Drew Brees, even though he's getting up there in age, he's still playing really, really good football. Uh, Mike Thomas is the best receiver in the NFL. I feel like I'm comfortable saying, and Alvin Kamara is a great pack. Latavius Murray is a great back. So it's, it's, 
it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of the 49ers defense didn't play well, but the Saints offense really played really, really well. So it's hard to put my finger exactly on what went wrong, but it was a lot of, you know, taking the wrong angles, missed tackling, uh, missed, missed coverages, um, kind of just being off on where you're supposed to be, whatever it may be, it, it was off. And, you know, Sherman got injured a little bit here and there. Bosa was injured. D Ford was injured. So there's a lot that happened that played into them not having the best outing of the season by far. Um, on the flip side, who stood out to you in a good way? How about Nick Bosa, Zach? Oh my God. If this guy does not win defensive player of the year, his box score stats won't show it. But for analysts and people who actually watch the game, will know that Nick Bosa's box score stats really don't show how important and how effective he is. I felt like almost every snap, the guy was blowing up plays. Taron Armstead stood no chance, dude. I mean, I know he was playing hobbled, but he's still a top 10 tackle. And Bosa went out there and he just owned him, dude. I really felt like he just owned him. Uh, Let's see. On the day, Nick Bosa only finished with two total tackles, but he also had a pass deflection and two QB hits. In comparison, the Niners only had three QB hits on the day, and the other one was Emmanuel Mosley on a corner blitz. And I mean, Mosley popped Breeze. But the fact that Bosa was the only one to really hit home and really get pressure on Breeze goes to show how important he is. And I felt like most of the game, too, Bosa was getting chipped and he was getting doubled or he would get blocked once and then the guard would come over and block him again. So, you know, they couldn't really stop Bosa. I know his stats won't show it, but people who watch the game will see and they saw how good Nick Bosa was today. And man... Bosa is the one guy that stood out to me, and you know I, I said it once, but how about that pass deflection, dude? Defensive linemen do not get up that high and stretch out and deflect passes like that unless you know they're already jumping or they can see the quarterback in front of them. I mean, Bosa was like, Bosa was like literally on his like he was running around the side and he stretched out with what one hand and still tipped it and. I mean, even if Kamara catches that ball, I think it's a loss anyways. But the fact that Bosa still made something happen with the position he was in was so impressive. And again, you do not see defensive linemen do that. So I know it won't show it, but I think Bosa was like the biggest standout to me like as a whole on defense. Yeah, Bosa played a hell of a game today. Um, It's kind of the same effort that we've seen from him all year. And although, like you said, the stat sheet won't necessarily show it, if you watch the game, you can see that he was constantly pressuring Breeze, he was constantly eating up double teams, whatever it may be, he was making himself known. And I think he's really, really delivered on exactly what the 49ers needed from him uh, coming into this season. But however, my answer, I gotta go with, I gotta go with Akella Witherspoon, dude. Um, I thought he played a really, really solid game. And similar to Bosa, the stat sheet's not going to show it. It's not going to um, scream out at you that he he won today by any any metric. But he played a great game. And um, he was lined up on Mike Thomas most of the day, partial of the day. I'm not quite sure exactly for how many snaps. But I remember exactly one uh, specifically play where he was going down, covering Mike Thomas on a deep pass. And Mike Thomas just completely assaulted him. And I don't understand how pass interference wasn't called. Um, He definitely was looking to make a play on the ball. And Mike Thomas was strictly trying to prevent 
Witherspoon from catching the ball. So I, I thought it should have been called, but regardless, Witherspoon balled out today. Um, I thought it, it, it spoke volume that the 49ers trusted him to kind of cover Thomas at times. Um, just one-on-one, it looked like it was just man coverage. So I really, really like seeing that from him. He's a young player who's really, really growing into his own. And I think the 49ers have a lot to be excited about with his future um, because he, he's really been balling out. He was balling out before he got injured and he's come came back and he's been balling out ever since too. Um, now, Anthony, Drew Brees, the guy had like, I, I want to say six touchdowns today. I think he had like five through the air and one on the ground. He was essentially unstoppable. Let's be honest. Um, did the 49ers, 49ers make any adjustments? I think the only adjustments that they really made, again, was Salah sending blitzes, trying to get some pressure on Drew Brees. And he was 29 of 40, and I think half of those incompletions were from pressure. Salah was calling blitzes way more in the second half than he was in the first, and I thought those blitzes are what really made the difference between Brees getting pressured and throwing incompletions versus Brees getting time in the pocket and making something happen. So... I you know I don't really know what to say. I don't think the defense was really able to stop him though. You know, three hundred and forty nine yards, five touchdowns for what a forty year old quarterback. That is impressive, dude. Drew, this is the reason why Drew Brees is a Hall of Famer. You know, it doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter what he's doing or what's going on. He's going out there and he's making things happen. And I know the you know the big connection for him on the day was Michael Thomas, eleven catches, one hundred and thirty four yards. But listen to these names, dude. Jared Cook, Ted Ginn, Traquan Smith, Latavius Murray, Alvin Kamara, uh, someone I don't even know, Taysom Hill, and Josh Hill. <laughs> you know, outside of Michael Thomas's 11 catches, no one else got more than four. The fact that Drew Brees is making things happen with guys who aren't exactly, I, I guess you can say, like, elite, elite outside of Kamara, or even really good. And I know Jared Cook is good, but, you know, he's not you know, like the best in the league, or he's not really top five, maybe top 10, but not top five. But my point being is that Drew Brees is going out there and he's making plays with anyone at his disposal. And he's really been doing that his whole career. And that's the reason why he's a Hall of Famer is that he's never had elite, elite talent around him when, you know, he's trying to do something. And the fact that he finally has someone like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara is just, it's a blessing for him. But overall, I don't necessarily think they adjusted to Drew Brees. I think they they just tried to blitz him, tried to get him off his game, tried to hit him, tried to pressure him, pressure him, do anything. Because in this game, it felt like Drew Brees was going to make a big throw, and you didn't know when it was coming, but you could almost expect it. You know what I mean? Drew, that's that's just how good Drew Brees is. But uh, you know, I guess you can say they contained him for the most part. I know in the fourth quarter, he didn't look as good other than that touchdown drive, but you know, they stopped him when they needed to. I felt like, even though it didn't feel like they stopped him too much, but you get what I'm saying though. There were times when he was getting hit. There were times when he was throwing really bad incompletions. And a lot of that was due to good coverage and good defense. And I mean, you got to credit the DBs, man. They had some good pass reflections on the day, but when you have a hot quarterback like Drew Brees, I don't think you stop him. <laughs> I just think you do your best to contain him, and they did okay at that for the most part, o- other than the five touchdowns, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's always funny when you say, other than those five touchdowns, but I agree with you. Um, I thought the 49ers tightened up on their defense in the second half, and although it's going to sound funny 
the couple of punts uh, that the 49ers were able to, to, to force were ultimately the deciding factor in the game. Um, and you know, those two failed two point conversions, um, you know, just looking on, on thinking back to my memory, uh, when they got that fumble, excuse me, when they got that interception, I believe the 49ers defense held them to a field goal. So things like that, I definitely think they made some adjustments. I think they were, the defensive backs were playing tighter up on the receivers. They weren't as far back. They weren't giving as much cushion, um, knowing that the, the saints receivers are more physical and, uh, kind of like, you know, possession receivers are not going to go out there and beat you, especially a guy like Mike Thomas. Uh, I know Ted Ginn still got some pretty deadly speed, even though he's getting up there in age. But for the most part, the receivers, they're, they're a lot more possession-like receivers. So I, I think they made that that change. And just like you said, they were getting a lot more pressure on Breeze, forcing him to get the ball out quicker, forcing him to throw the ball away. So it was just, you know, it, it was it was noticeable. It definitely was noticeable. And I, it was ultimately the deciding factor. Um, you talked about Bosa a little bit earlier and how great he was today and how he's likely the uh, rookie of the year, arguably the defensive player of the year. Um, he wasn't, he didn't get any sacks, but he was extremely effective. Um, what, what about today do you think says about his trajectory as a player? And where do you think he is right now amongst the rest of the pass rushers in the NFL? Bosa is already playing like a top five pass rusher. If, I mean, I know he was the second overall pick, but let's just face it. The fact that he's only played in what, I uh, this is what, the 12th game, 13th game, 11 and 2, 13th game. The fact that he's gone in, and he played the first few games hurt, keep in mind. The fact that he's gone in, he's really only played eight or nine games fully healthy. The dude is getting doubled. He's getting chipped. He's getting blown up by Larry Fitzgerald. The fact that he is already getting all this attention tells you that this guy, assuming he's going to be healthy for most of his career, is going to be a top three pass rusher in the league. You know, Everyone needs to overlook box score stats because they don't tell the true story. Nick Bosa was arguably the best defensive player on the day for the Niners. He blew plays up. He made both tackles when he needed to, and he hit Drew Brees. What more can you ask from a guy who's literally drawing double and triple teams in the season already? So it's that type of thing that makes you go, wow, the Niners and John Lynch really nailed on this draft pick. And... No one better have anything to complain about with Nick Bosa, dude. The guy is just a stud, and he's looking like he's going to be defensive player of the year, if not this season, at some point in his career. Yeah, it's hard to argue against him being um, the, the the rookie of the year right now. And, you know, to, to, to just his credit, exactly what you were saying, he's only played healthy for uh, a you know, select number of these games of the season. So I think it just speaks volume to how he is as a player, and he really came into the NFL pro ready. Um, as far as where he ranks amongst the rest of the pass rushers, I'd say he's 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 right up there with the best of them. It's hard to argue any other case. Um, you could you could even say he's top three, top four uh, edge rushers in the NFL right now. Um, so it's just the 49ers desperately needed somebody to get home, get pressure. Um, and Nick Bosa has been that guy. I know they uh, traded for D Ford. However, he's been injured. He's been uh, kind of on a snap count every game. And I know he's got, I, I want to say, six and a half sacks on the season. But for the most part, he's hasn't really been too impressive. 
On the other hand, Nick Bosa, uh, the rookie on the rookie-controlled salary, this guy's been lighting it up. This guy has been uh, highlight reel every game just about. So it's just it's great what the 49ers have in him. And the thought that he's only going to continue to get better, it should scare the rest of the NFL. It should especially scare the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL because this guy is going to be a beast for years to come. Um, now, what about the defensive backs and the linebackers? Who, who stood out to you uh, for the 49ers defense today? So I think who really stood out to me the most out of the, the defensive backs, I'm, I got to go with the Keller Witherspoon, dude. Now, I know he had that nasty missed tackle that led to the Traquan Smith touchdown, but let's just overlook that for a second. He had five total tackles on the day, four solo. He had one pass deflection, but I felt like he had more. I felt like he had two or three. But with that being said, though, dude, I think Akello was one of the best defensive backs on the day, if you will. The guy was going out there. He was making plays. He was running stride for stride, whether it was Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn, Traquan Smith, whoever it may be. Akello went out there, and he played really well, I thought. Now, I know we have to watch more of the film, and I'm going to do that tomorrow so I can really see what happened. But... From what I saw, just based on quick eye tests and eye views, Spoon had a really good he had a really good game. I thought, you know, I know he's still working back from injury, so he's really still getting his feet, and he's still trying to find he's still trying to find some confidence in his game and really get back to how he was the first few weeks. But I think he's working up to that. He's working up to it well, and with each play that he makes you see him like throw his hands out like like you know how defensive backs do that and corners do that when they're like ah incomplete they wave their arms out Akello does that and you know you just know how hyped up he is and you know how energetic he is and how you know just I, I guess just determined and how confident the guy is in his own ability and it's things like that that make really good defensive backs so if we can get back to that spoon that was there at the beginning of the season I think he can. He still has a chance to play at a really, really good level. But let's face it, man. You have guys like Emmanuel Mosley. You have guys like Kwan Williams who are playing their asses off also. And, and obviously Sherman, too. But out of all the corners and really out of all the DBs, if it's anyone who stood out to me the most, whether his name was called on or not, I really thought it was like Yellow Witherspoon. Yeah, Witherspoon, like I said earlier, he really balled out today. And he's he's be- becoming a really, really solid cornerback for the 49ers. Um, my answer, I got to go with Emmanuel Mosley, actually. And I know he didn't see too much action today. But the guy, you know, wh- whenever somebody gets injured, he gets called on right away. And he always comes in and he plays really, really well. Um, I know he had a couple mistakes today. But, you know, it, it, it's understandable given, you know, his, his situation coming in kind of unprepared or not expecting to come in. So I definitely think Mosley played really, really well today. Um, and as a younger guy, he really stood out to me. Um, he only had a couple of tackles, I want to say, on the day. Um, or excuse me, no, he actually had uh, the second most tackles. He had seven tackles on on the day. So, you know, he, he really balled out today and it was nice to see. So the 49ers know what they have in Witherspoon. They know what they have in Mosley. And I think they're very comfortable with their stable of defensive backs uh, as they round out the end of the season and into the postseason. What about the linebackers, Anthony? Who stood out to you uh, as far as the linebackers? So Warner, Warner had another really good game again. 
there was one play when he he actually forced a fumble on Michael Thomas. It was kind of hard to see, but he actually forced a fumble on Michael Thomas. But as Thomas was going down, he fell on the ball, so you couldn't, you know, obviously it wasn't really a fumble, but he still forced a fumble on Michael Thomas. I think that's, you know, that's one of my most favorite things about Fred Warner is that he goes out there and, you know, he has the speed to keep up with guys, but he's always trying to force a fumble and he's always trying to make something happen. So I got to credit Fred Warner, man. I know Drake Greenlaw was really good. Nazacha wasn't even that bad too. I think he got a couple snaps on the field other than special teams. But uh, overall, man, outside of Greenlaw, Warner was really good, and he's still playing at an elite level, and he's, again, he's arguably playing at an all-pro level. That's how good this guy is. This is another one of those things where his box score stats won't really show it, but you have to watch the game to know how effective he was and how effective he is, and this was another one of those games where he went out there, he made plays. I do think, though, that this might have been his worst game in terms of missed tackles because I felt like there were a handful of times when he whiffed. But, you know, in today's NFL, it is not easy to tackle one-on-one. You can't really make a play without getting penalized or flagged. But um, there there were some times when I thought, nonetheless, that Warner needed to make the play and he just missed. But in no way do I think that discredits his ability or who he is. The guy still went out there and he got the job done. And every game that he plays is really another game closer to a, to an all-pro level, all-pro vote, if you will. Because, you know, you hear everyone talking about how good Warner is. And even when he misses a tackle, he goes out there and he makes a big tackle. Or he gets a big pass deflection. Or he blows a play up. It's things like that that separate elite linebackers from fringe linebackers, if you know what I mean. So Warner stood out, but uh, I got to hear what you say, man. Warner looked really good other than those missed tackles. I agree with you. I agree with you, uh, especially on the fact that Warner is slowly getting closer to that all-pro level, um, and you could make the case that he's playing as the best linebacker in the NFL right now. Um, but since you go with Warner, I'm going to go with you know the pepper to your salt, and I'm going to go with Dre Greenlaw. I thought he played a great game as well. Uh, he finished the day with seven total tackles and a pl- pass deflection. So I, I thought he was all over the field today. There was one play in particular where um, I, I believe it was Taysom Hill. I think it was like a fourth down. And you would like to see him kind of win the battle with a quarterback or a gadget player, whatever you want to classify Taysom Hill as. But Taysom Hill kind of carried him for like three yards. And I remember I was thinking like, Dre, bro, like, <laughs> come on, man, you got you got to make the play there. But for the most part, he played a really, really good game, and you can tell he's he's getting more comfortable on the field, coming into his own. Uh, he was kind of thrust into the starting role when Quan was out with that torn pec, so um, it's nice to see him kind of come into his own. And I think that you know, as the season progresses, he's gonna feel more and more comfortable, and we're gonna be seeing him kind of playing very, very well, and especially under Fred Warner's leadership, um, I think that he's going to be a good linebacker in this league, and I think that the 49ers you know, continue to draft really, really solid role players and backup players in the middle to late rounds, so it was really, really exciting to see Drake Greenlaw out there today. Um, Now, Anthony, we talked about the secondary, we talked about the linebackers. Let's get to the defensive line. I know they didn't get any sacks, and they, the stat sheet wasn't really lit up, but how did they perform overall today? You know, Drew Brees, for his age, is still incredibly elusive, and he can still, you know, 
evade tackles and evade hits and make something happen. I felt like if Robert Sala wasn't blitzing, and again, I need to watch more film to see how effective the line was, but at some points I felt like Drew Brees had a good amount of time to make something happen. I I don't know if the pass rush just wasn't hitting home or if Breeze was just getting off quick passes most of the game because he was but I did feel like at times there were you know there were times where I felt like Buckner or Armstead or Valawaga could have made a play and I mean there was only one time where someone got a sack and that was Solomon Thomas and of course when he gets a sack the play is blown dead because of a penalty because no surprise the referees were awful but uh, I digress, man. The defensive line was, they, they were good. There were times where I felt like they were really hitting on their pass rushes, really hitting on their run stops. And then there were other times where I felt like they were faltering. You know, guys were getting tripped up. Guys weren't really winning their one-on-ones. And, you know, it happens. So it felt like it was a pretty average day for the most part from the defensive line outside of Nick Bosa. But they definitely shined at times. And, you know, in a 46-point game, it's really hard to be consistent, but they're another one of those groups where I felt like they were effective when they needed to be, and there were some times when they made good plays, they pressured Drew Brees, and other times, again, where, you know, nothing was really there, and you felt like nothing was going to happen. So it was kind of a 50-50 game for them, but it wasn't their worst. I know there's no sacks, but again, it wasn't their worst game, that's for sure. Yeah, um... They were they were getting pressure. They were definitely getting pressure. They just couldn't seem to uh, get home on it. And um, Drew Brees, I mean, you got to give it up for Drew Brees. He is just a Hall of Fame quarterback, and today he showed why. Uh, he's very very smart, very very quick with his decision making, and it made it really really hard for guys like Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Armstead to get home and get the sack, even though they might have gotten a couple quarterback hits or a couple of pressures. Um, they just weren't able to to get home. I think the 49ers, yeah, they didn't have a single sack today, like we said. So it's not what we're used to seeing from this defensive front. However, it wasn't what we're used to seeing from this defensive unit as a whole. So it didn't really surprise me. Today, it kind of seemed like, almost like you treat like a Thursday game. It's kind of like all, all bets are out the window. It's a shootout. Um, nothing's going to be what the norm is. So I, I it's not concerning to me. But I thought the defensive line played pretty whole regardless of if they got sacks or not because um, I don't think it was the deciding factor in in the game. Um, Now, we kind of talked about Shanahan and how he coached and whether or not it was his best coach game of the season. Let's go to the other side of the ball in uh, defensive coordinator Robert Sala. Did he call a good game? I felt like he called a good game in the second half. Now, I know the points don't really show it because I think the Saints scored more in the second half, but a lot of, you know, what happened was just, you know, stupid penalties. I mean, let's face it, Zach, a lot of the penalties the Niners had on them were total BS. I really thought that, I really thought that the Saints only, the Saints should have gotten more penalties called on them, and I thought the Niners should have had less called on them. But uh, what can you do? It's today's NFL. There's nothing you can do about it. So Salah being able to work around some of those penalties I thought was all right, but nonetheless, the Saints scored a lot 
He called a pretty good game in the second half. Again, I brought it up earlier. He was blitzing a lot more in the second half, really trying to pressure Drew Brees. And I think my favorite play call from him was the corner hit the corner blitz by Emmanuel Mosey, where he just popped uh he, he just popped Drew Brees hard and the ball got tipped and almost intercepted. But it's things like that where where defensive coordinators like Salah make their money is they're uber aggressive. And they always try to make something happen. And I mean, you know, you have a solid four-man rush, but D. Ford was out for the rest of the game. Nick Bosa, I'm sure, was still playing pretty dinged up. So really, when you don't have all four of your guys hidden home, you know, you need to dial up blitzes. You need to dial dial up more pressure somehow. And Salah was doing that pretty well. But it wasn't really hitting home all the time. And there's not much you can do about that. The Saints' offensive line actually played pretty well. But uh, I digress, man. Salah called a pretty good game. The first half was rough, in my opinion. I felt like the adjustments came pretty late. But when the adjustments did come, I do feel like they were pretty impactful for the most part. So Salah wasn't bad, but I don't think it was his best game of the season. Yeah, he definitely um, he was going up against a really, really tough test today. And Sean Payton, um, one of the best offensive play callers in the NFL, uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback, the best wide receiver, a great tandem of running backs, and you know the Saints' offensive line played played really well. I know Armstead was questionable, Teron Armstead that is of the Saints, and uh, he ended up coming back and he played really really good. So, uh, Salah, excuse me, Salah, he played, a, a, a coached, excuse me, a good game. Could it have been better? Yeah, of course, it could have definitely been better. Um, I think it was it was rough to start the game. The first half, like you said, it was noticeably worse. Um, but he did make some adjustments at halftime, and I think he was able to to help the offense. He got a couple stops when they needed to the most. So it, it is what it is. Um, like I said, this game was a shootout, so it's hard to kind of judge how how the coaching happened, how the defense played when it was just an all out offensive you know, war essentially. So I, I I thought he called a solid game. I'd like to see it be a little tighter. I'd like to see the 49ers defense get back to what we're used to seeing and um, what giving up an average of like 15 points or something like that going into this game. So I, I and, and, you know, obviously when you're playing an uh, uh, environment like the Saints, like the Superdome, a very hostile environment, it's going to be favored one way, like you said. Um, even even the refs, there were some total BS calls, total some BS non calls. Um, you know, the Saints on that last um, scoring drive they had. I I just got I hate to beat this guy, but I just gotta say this: final scoring drive, that really really long catch and run by Mike Thomas. Um, Richard Sherman was blatantly blocked in the back, and it was not called, and it drove me crazy because at that point. Um, I wasn't sure if the 49ers were going to get the ball back. And, you know, luckily they did and they were able to win it. But there was a very, very obvious block in the back that just wasn't called. So you got to consider all of that when you're when you're kind of judging how solid did, how the defense did. Nothing was going their way today, including the referees, including the calls. And, you know, it, it was frustrating, but they, they took it all in stride. They, they turned the other cheek and they won the game. So you can't really complain. Um, now, Anthony... In a high-scoring game, like we've been talking about, an offensive shootout like like today, um, do you think that the 49ers' defense came through when they needed them to the most? 
Let me check out my stats here real quick to see how many times the Saints punted. And they only punted one time. <laughs> so, I, I don't think so. Okay, so let, let me get this point across. They didn't come through when it came to the Saints scoring, what, six touchdowns on the day? But they came through when it mattered, and that was on both of the two-point conversions that the Saints failed on. Those two-point conversions honestly were the difference between the Niners kicking a game-tying field goal or having to score a touchdown in the final drive to win the game. So, you know, the defensive box score stats won't look good. The overall numbers won't look good. I mean, 46 points is no joke. But when they when they got their stops on those two-point conversions, I think those were the most important things that happened where I can at least say, I know they gave up 46, but when it came down to being clutch, those were the two clutch things that really helped determine the outcome of the game. So they didn't play their best game of the season, but when it came down to being, you know, like, like I just said, when it came down to being clutch with those two two-point conversions that didn't go through, that was huge. That was really huge, and I got to give credit to Salah and credit to the defensive guys for getting both of those stops because that was one of the biggest things as to why the Niners won the game. Yeah, and you know, when when I was looking at this question, I had those two two-point conversions in mind as well, but you could also throw in um, the the play, the drive after the turnover. After, to start the third quarter, Jimmy Garoppolo's pass tipped, intercepted, and the Saints had the short field. And um, I believe this the 49ers defense, they were able to hold them to three points on that on that turnover. So that could have been even a, a bigger swing because instead of giving up seven, obviously they only gave up three. So I thought that they came through then and those two-point conversions. If you're looking at the total, that's what, six points? No, excuse me, eight points. So uh, four points from the turnover and then that they didn't prevent – or excuse me, the touchdown that they didn't allow – and then both two point conversions, eight points in total, so it could have been it could have been worse. And the 49ers defense came through in those moments. However, you like to see them come through uh, when it mattered most, and that would have been in the final drive um, when the Saints got the ball back with roughly a minute and some change. Um, I want to say, and they were able to drive the ball all the way down and get the touchdown, kind of the go ahead touchdown. So you you'd like to see them come through then. However, you'll take what they give you, and today they came through in other moments, and you know it, it didn't prove to be fatal for the 49ers. They were able to overcome it, and that's what matters most. So it was just a great outing overall, a great game overall, excuse me. I don't want to say outing, great game overall, one that's definitely going to be remembered for a long time to come. Um, it seems, man, it seems like this season the 49ers have just been in some, you know, it seems like almost every game we're saying, man, game of the year, game of the year. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but the 49ers today, the thing that separated them from the previous two games of the year, you could argue, the Seahawks and the Ravens, they finished. They finished. They knew what it took to finish, and they went ahead and did it. And it was great to see, especially a young team like them, get the job done against a veteran team like Drew Brees, Sean Payton, and the Saints. So it was just amazing. But, um, you know, we're going to do our standard shout outs, guys, and our uh, RGS mailbag. And then we're going to kind of wrap it up here um, for our standard shout outs. Anthony, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Yeah, I'll go first if you don't mind. So I was looking through my shout outs and then I was on Twitter real quick and I didn't even see this. So 
How about a shout-out to Jimmy Garoppolo when he has a clean pocket? When Garoppolo is standing in there in a clean pocket with no pressure around him, he is averaging 22.4 yards per attempt, per pass. 22.4 yards. Now, I don't know how many attempts he has with the clean pocket, but the point being is that when he's given a clean pocket, he is looking for a downfield shot. He is looking to make a play in the air and... That's all I can really ask for from a good quarterback like him. So shout out to Garoppolo. But uh, I'm going to shout out Emmanuel Sanders also. He is the first 49ers player since at least 1950. 1950. Bro, my dad wasn't even born then. My dad's old. But he, at least 1950 with a passing touchdown and a reception touchdown in the same game. And I mean, that's incredible. Emmanuel Sanders is unfair. He he's absolutely unreal. The guy is a stud. He's looking like one of the best trade deadline moves ever of the season, arguably. And then last shout out Kendrick Bourne, and you know really this goes to Kendrick Bourne and Shanahan, you know play calling. But Kendrick Bourne's six yard receiving touchdown. It was the first opening drive touchdown allowed by the Saints all season. So to go out there and respond instantly after the Saints score a touchdown by scoring your own touchdown, that's really big, man. So shout out to Garoppolo in the clean pocket. Shout out to Emmanuel Sanders and shout out to Kendrick Bourne and Kyle Shanahan, man. The offense was on fire today. Okay. Those are some, those are some awesome shout outs there, man. I did not know a couple of those, especially the receiving and passing touchdown that Emmanuel Sanders, the first one since 1950. That's amazing. Um, for me, I have a couple. Um, I know I spoke about uh, Kittle today a lot and how how great of a performance he put out. I saw this via uh, ESPN Stats and Info, and uh, the tweet read, With 67 receiving yards and today's win against the Saints, George Kittle now has the fourth most receiving yards with 2,646 for a tight end in his first three seasons in the NFL history. Only Mike Ditka, Rob Gonkowski, excuse me, Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham are ahead of 49ers tight end George Kittle. So man, George Kittle is on a historic run to start his career. And those are, those are three, you know, hall of fame, arguably names in front of him. So it just, it shows what trajectory he's on. And it's amazing. Uh, for my next shout out, shout out to Scorigami on Twitter. Today's score of 48 to 46 was Scorigami. That is the 1,053rd unique final score in NFL history. It doesn't really mean much, but I always think it's cool when that happens. Just the thought that no NFL game has ever ended with this score before. Um, I thought that was cool. And then um, our last shout out for me is uh, kind of a more meaningful one. And the 49ers post game, they kind of shared a video from their locker room. And uh, the tweet read, this one meant more for Tony. As we all know, Jed York's brother, Tony York, passed away a year ago on Saturday. And uh, Kyle Shanahan was able to give the game ball to the Yorks who were there. And it was a very, very emotional uh, post game. And it looked like uh, the Yorks were there and they kind of were tearing up, thanking the team and thanking uh, Tony, knowing that he was looking down from above, giving the team some love and some luck today uh, and a much needed win. So shout out to the Yorks. And our thoughts and prayers are with you. We hope you guys are doing well in a tough time like this. Um, so that that was that was amazing to see. And just, you know, very, very strong family that came together. The 49ers as a family came together uh, when they needed them most. So that'll be it for my shout outs. 
Now moving on to our RGS mailbag. Um, Anthony, we have a question here from Coach Rios on Twitter. He kind of had a, a bunch of questions uh, mixed into one. We're going to choose one and roll with it. How much better can the 49ers get? How much better can the 49ers get? Man, Coach Rios, all I'm really going to say is that I think they can get a lot better. This was kind of one of those games where, you know, you can say whatever. I mean, it, it was an ugly game through and through, man. I think there was a lot of things that we weren't, you know, I guess we weren't necessarily impressed with. But, you know, you have games like this where it's going to be a shootout. Obviously, they're going to have to play a playoff game at some point. And what better experience than to play a game in this type of atmosphere? Now, hopefully they won't have to play a dome game again when the playoffs come around, especially in New Orleans. But, uh, you know, 48 points. I they can I mean they put up 50 on Carolina so they have the ceiling to be like that but I'm here predicting 40 plus points every week and then they go out and score 20 or 25 and it's like ah well what the hell but uh as it as a whole coach they can improve and I you know I think the coaching can only get better the players the ceilings can only get better and just the adversity they face and the ter- the determination they grow with every day is what really drives them to be better. And I think that's the biggest thing about them that can really just improve and move forward other than obviously them getting better within their skill sets. Yeah, um, they can definitely get better. Um, I'm not sure how far of a scope we're taking on this. Um, if we're looking at this season only, yes, they can still get better. Like I said earlier, the sky is the limit. Um, I think the coaching can get better. I think the receivers can get better. I think the blocking can get better. The linebackers can get better. Um, and it's amazing when you think of it. We're, we're talking about a team that's 11-2, and two, and we're kind of naming all these things that they can get better at. But it, I think it's true. Um, there are a lot of things to improve on, and the moment you start thinking that there aren't is when you, you kind of screw yourself. So um, this team can definitely get better, but I do think the sky's the limit. I think that they're a very, very talented team. I think they have a lot going for them. I think if they keep it up, um, they'll have no problem having a long postseason run. And uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself too early, but I I definitely think uh, they have a date circled in February, and it's not too unlikely at the moment that they'll be there. Um, Our next uh, question in the RGS mailbag is from my brother Eric. Uh, he was stationed in the Navy in Washington State, very, very close to Seattle. He is very, very sick of the Seattle Seahawks fans. He's even more sick of the 49ers not winning up in Seattle. Anthony, what will it take for the 49ers to beat the Seahawks in Week 17? All I'm going to say, Eric, is whatever the Rams did today to beat the Seahawks, do that against the Seahawks to beat them. Now, I know the game was in L.A., so home crowd I guess but I mean the Rams haven't really had a home crowd all season but I I think to keep the short and sweet to beat the Seahawks keep the same method that they had when they played him the first time you know the defense really shut out Wilson for the most part and they looked really good limit the turnovers stop Jadavion Clowney and I think the Niners can put up 30 on Seattle because I think the Rams really exposed Seattle today when when the run game can't get going and I, I know the Rams have really good players on their defense, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, you know, John Johnson, Eric Weddle, Taylor Rapp, you know, those guys. But I'm saying that 
when they can just sit back in coverage and make Russell Wilson make plays. Now, I know he's Russell Wilson, but if you're holding the ground game of Seattle to 40, 50, 60 yards and you're making Russell Wilson throw the ball 40 times, I think that's the biggest difference between winning in Seattle and losing in Seattle is make Russell Wilson put the team on his back, take the lead early, and don't look back, run with it, and just get stops, man, because... You look at what the Rams did today, and you know the Niners can do that even better than the Rams. So, do the same thing you've done before. Just stop clowning this time. Yeah, you know, you you, you ended your answer with how I was going to start mine. Um, blocking up front. Blocking is key. The, the Seahawks have one of the worst uh, rushing units in the NFL. And when these team, two teams met in Santa Clara, they were all over the 49ers offensive line. They were getting worked. Uh, Joe Staley, McGlinchey, they were getting absolutely worked by Clowney and uh, Ford, guys like that, on the Seahawks. They can't allow that to happen again. The 49ers offensive line needs to be stout. They need to be uh, a tough fortress, a wall, whatever you want to call it. They need to be together, and they cannot allow that to happen. Um, also, I don't think it's going to be, and I hope I'm not you know, eating my tongue come week 17, it's not going to be as difficult as it was the first time around because the 49ers hopefully will go in there with George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders on offense, not to mention a really, really red hot Jimmy Garoppolo. And on top of all of this, Kyle Shanahan's already going to have one game's worth of experience against this team this season. And I, I really, really have a lot of faith in him to be able to adjust and you know whatever it may be that he needs to kind of tweak against for this new game plan going off his old one, I think he'll be able to do it. So um, I definitely think I think they really really want uh, that bye week in and that number one seed home field advantage. Uh, what team wouldn't? So I think the 49ers just need to show that they want it more. They want to show uh, they need to show the will and they need to show they're willing to execute. Because Seahawks are an experienced team. They've been there before. However, most of the guys that are on that team haven't. It's a younger team. It's uh, got a, a lot of new faces on there. And the 49ers can very, very easily go in there and turn the tables, run the rest of the season, and get that dub for the first time in years in Seattle. And man, Anthony, what a sight it would be to win the NFC West in Seattle in Week 17, uh, sending all those Seahawks fans home crying, sad, whatever it may be. You'd love to see it. You'd absolutely love to see it. Um, So I think that's what it's going to take, to be honest with you. And I think it's going to take an absolutely uh, clinic from Jimmy Garoppolo, similar to what we saw today. And I have nothing but absolute confidence and faith that he can get it done. Um, all right, Anthony, our last question for the RGS mailbag comes from 49er Girl 16. Um, she wants to know what the 49ers defense needs to do to shore things up after being torched by the Saints today. Uh, so this doesn't happen again if we were to see them in January. So to make it short and sweet, to shore things up, if you will, just the pass rush needs to hit home. I know it's hard when you don't have D Ford. But Solomon Thomas didn't look bad out there, and neither did, uh, I think his name is Jer- Jeremiah Valawaga. Valawaga was the most recent practice squad call-up to replace Ronald Blair, who got hurt. But uh, those guys need to hit home. They really do. I think that pass rush wasn't as good as it should have been today outside of Nick Bosa. 
Drew Brees was, had too much time to make plays, and when you give Brees too much time, it's the end of the world for, for us. But uh, pass rush needs to hit home. Guys need to make tackles, not miss them. And I think that is the best way to contain the offense. Because like I said earlier, if you hit those tackles, you don't miss, and you actually sack Drew Brees, it's an entirely different game. So get sacks, make tackles. Okay, very simple, very simple. I like it. Um, As far as for me, I I would say more so the secondary. I think the secondary needs to step it up. They need to be playing tighter. They need to be playing more physical. They need to be playing smart. Um, There was one pass towards the end of the game. I want to say it was Witherspoon where uh, I want to say Thomas slipped, fell down, and the ball was right in Witherspoon's lap, and it just caught him by surprise, so we didn't catch it. He catches that, intercepts it. The game's over right then and there. Luckily, the 49ers were still able to win. However, um, plays like that, you really, really need to take advantage. So that's kind of my next key is taking advantage of whatever little opportunities you have because they won't come uh, often once you're in the playoffs against really, really good teams. So whenever you do get them, you need to make the most out of them and you really, really need to uh, make sure you give your offense every single opportunity to win the game and not only that but give your defense every chance you can to get off the field and get rested because once you get into january these guys have been playing since august uh every week essentially so they're exhausted these guys are beat up they're tired any rest you can get really really counts so those would be my points um we're gonna wrap it up here guys i know it was a bit of a longer episode than usual but we really wanted to go in depth with this really really meaningful win for the 49ers uh anthony any closing thoughts here Let's get to the Super Bowl, baby. This is the time to shine. The Niners are showing everyone why they're not pretenders. Dudes like Ryan Clark and, God, who else? You know what I mean, Ryan Clark and, like, every analyst out there who said the Niners are pretenders or they haven't played anyone, I don't know what excuse you can find for the Niners at this point. They just put up 48 on the Saints. They beat the Saints, who scored 46. If I were to tell you without knowing anything that the Saints put up 46 on the Niners, I would have thought that the Saints smacked us. But no, we put up 48. We beat them. We went 2-1 and one in the hardest stretch of football any team has played in NFL history. And these guys just showed why they're ready for the Super Bowl. So shout out to the team, man. I can't wait to see what's in store for these guys. And uh, let's get it rolling, dude. Time to shine. Yeah, actually, I saw after the game today, Ryan Clark, uh, I, I believe he said something along the lines of 49ers fans punch the 49ers ticket uh, to Miami already for February, that he would not be surprised to see them as the NFC representative this year. So Ryan Clark is actually on the bandwagon. And, you, you know, who would have thought, coming back looking back in August that he would have been one of the guys saying no I, I'm picking the 49ers to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl um, so that that's just great to see because uh, it really just speaks to how the 49ers have been playing they're turning doubters haters into believers so um, yeah that it's just great it's just great there's no other way to put it the 49ers have been playing lights out and you love to see it thank you again guys for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast um, that's going to do it for us today. Please, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on. We read them all. They make our day. We really, really appreciate it. We appreciate any and all interaction from you guys. Thank you very much for your support so far. 
And uh, that's going to do it. We'll, we'll meet with up with you guys one more time uh, before next week's game. So hope you guys have a good, good week, whatever it is, until we talk to you guys again. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it, guys. Take care.